Good morning, everyone. Now, before Children's Church is dismissed, um, I have a confession to make, too. Nick is my favorite person in this church, besides my wife. So I have one thing that is just because of Nick. Um, I wanted you all to, to know this. Uh, do you know how to sell a chicken to a deaf man? Do you want to buy a chicken? <laughs> Did you hear him laughing? <laughs> all right, Junior Church, you're dismissed to walk. That was a funny joke, just so you know. Did you hear the blonde? She went, nuh-uh, because she didn't get it. Okay. So, um, an article in the New York Times entitled, Googling for God, begins this way. It's been a very bad decade for God, at least so far. Google searches for churches are down at least 15% over the last five years compared to the previous years. Pornography searches are up 83%. Google searches for heroin is um, up 32%. Searching questioning, uh, searches questioning God's existence are up. And the top Google search in, that includes the word God is for God of War, which is a video game. So what are we seeing by that is... A lot of people are not searching for God, at least on Google. And instead of focusing on Google web searches, we're going to look at God's word today. We're going to discover what a response, that a response is expected when we encounter Jesus. If you will, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. Uh, go ahead and turn there in your physical or digital Bibles. And we're going to see how Jesus, what happens when Jesus shows up at a worship service. I can't wait to see what will happen when Jesus shows up in our services. I get excited about that when I start seeing that the spirit moving and that God is showing up and that the people are responding. So my question is today, how will you respond when Jesus is with us? So far as we looked at the life of Christ, we've seen his ministry, his baptism, his calling of the disciples, his temptation. Last week we looked at him in Nazareth about how the people had the Messiah in a box. Today in Mark 1, Jesus is in Capernaum. In verse 21, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. Uh, when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. Even though Jesus is from Nazareth, the majority of his ministry in this area is going to be in Capernaum, uh, which was located on the northwest edge of the Sea of Galilee. This city is a hub of trade and traffic, so it's a great place to meet many people. The book of Mark depicts Jesus as rapidly moving. He uses in the Greek immediately a lot. So immediately Jesus did this. Immediately they responded. He does this a lot in here. And here we read that Jesus wasted no time because in the Greek it says, and on the Sabbath he immediately went to the synagogue. It doesn't say it in the English, but in the Greek it, it has that connotation. Now the synagogue was a gathering place that was started when there was at least 10 Jewish families in a town. 
The synagogue system goes back to the time of Babylonian captivity. Since they couldn't go to the temple to worship, it started when they'd gather 10 families or more and they'd have the synagogue. Very similar to local churches. The Talmud says that there were 500 um, synagogues in Jerusalem and because um, Capernaum was a good-sized city, there's likely several synagogues there as well. Here's a little side note. If Jesus deemed it important to gather for weekly service, what should we do? Last week we read in the same script in Luke chapter 4, we read this scripture. When he, meaning Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Jesus' custom, his habit was to be in worship with God's people, with the congregation. If Jesus did it, so should we. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We can look at our culture, we can look at history, and we can look at our current times and looking into the future and especially now that the day of his return is drawing near, we need to be with one another. If Jesus did it, so do we. I am not trying to make you feel bad if you miss a sermon, a Sunday, a Sunday school. That's not my, but our habits need to be that we are constantly gathering. That's what Jesus did. Back to the rest of the text. So just like last week, Jesus in the, in the synagogue, he's teaching. Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teachings for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Last week's passage, when we looked at this, it's always going to be a response when we encounter Jesus and hear the people respond. As we finish this text, we're going to see several responses. But here, the first one, people are astonished when they encounter Jesus. The word astonished um, or amazed in some translations means to be at a loss, to be knocked out of one's senses. Have you ever been speechless? You were just awestruck by that. It's happened to me a few times where I just don't know what to say. One of the times I'll tell you that um, I was so excited. I was up in front of the church. At this time, I was wearing the wrong jacket. My jacket came to here, past my knuckles, while the best man in my wedding, his jacket came to here. And so we had the wrong jackets, and and I'm up there talking with him, and, and then all of a sudden, she steps into view, and I have this face like, Whoa. And all the way up, she comes up and she goes, it's okay to smile. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I'm happy. I was just struck, astonished. Have you ever felt that way? That, that's how the people were with Jesus as he was teaching. They were like, wow, he's real. They're blown away. This is a common response when people encounter Christ. They are astonished. You can look in Mark, uh, verse, here's a few more verses. Uh, Mark 6, verse 2. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed or astonished. Mark 7, 37. They were astonished beyond measure. 
In Mark 10, 26, the disciples were astounded. They encounter Jesus and they are awestruck. Why are people amazed? Why are they astonished here? Because Jesus teaches with real authority. Not like the scribes, not like the religious leaders. So, so what does that mean? That he was teaching with real authority. So here's how it works. When the scribes taught, they had no real authority. And so they ended up just quoting others. Well, rabbi so-and-so says this, so you need to listen. And rabbi says this, and this is what the Talmud, and this is what this person, so please listen. And then Jesus gets on the scene, and he says, I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. He's invoking authority here. And the word authority in the Greek there means power or right to enforce obedience. I'd like all the teenagers to write this definition down. The word authority means power or right to enforce obedience. Your parents have authority over you. That means they can enforce. How do you spell that? Who said amen? There we go. You're my second favorite after wife and then Nick. Okay. So authority, they, he has the power to tell them what to do and they need to obey it. Listen to these words found at the end of the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed or astonished at his teachings for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Here is somebody who not just knows the word, but he says it because it is his own. He carries the weight, he carries the authority, and he speaks to it that way. That's why here at um, St. Joe Church of Christ, we preach the Bible, God's word. Not my word, not the elders' words, not your opinions, but God's word. We're not just giving our opinions and trying to come up with clever insights. We preach God's word, and that's it. I have opinions on things. That is not what this place is for. This is for God's word because he has authority, which means he can enforce obedience. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. We here believe that God's word holds that authority and we will preach that. Now the scribes at that time, they were known for rote recitation. They were dull and dry and dusty. They would um, drone on much. When I think of what the scribes and the priests were doing at that time, I would think of the Charlie Brown adults. This is what they heard in their, in their synagogues. Wah, 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 wah. Can you imagine listening to a boring preacher? Teens, be quiet. <laughs> I expected John to be over here, so he's way up there. Please don't answer or say anything on that one. But we've been to boring church services. I've preached boring sermons. And yet, here's the real deal. A response is expected when Jesus is encountered, and one of those is being astonished, not bored. Let's go on to verse 23. 
Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. So here the people, they're astonished by what Jesus is doing. And now we see immediately, suddenly, there is a demon whose cover has blown when Christ shows up. And here's a second response we need to know when we encounter Jesus. Demons are afraid. They are afraid. We're astonished. And Jesus, our demons are afraid. Now, what's the one thing we notice about this? Where was this evil spirit? Where was this demon-possessed man? He was in somebody where? In the synagogue, in church. Let that sink in for a moment. Do you find it a little unnerving that an unclean spirit, a demon, is present in a worship service? We shouldn't be. Demons love to hang out among ritualistic and religious people. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, Jesus refers to the synagogue in Smyrna as a synagogue of Satan. Now, in this time, the synagogue had a lot of ritualistic services without rebirth. There was nothing inherently real in it. They had rules without the relationship. They had sermons without the Holy Spirit. They sang music without a sense of God's majesty. And demons aren't bothered by dusty and dry services. But when Jesus shows up, that's when they go crazy. How many of you ever heard of Frank Peretti? Okay. Frank Peretti is a Christian version of Stephen King. Okay. I want to challenge you. If you want to read some really good books that will make you think, and if you're a little frightened, make you turn the lights on at night, because it has done that to many people. Um, his book, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness, those are the two. But I'll never forget, when I first started reading this, I was just amazed. Like, whoa, this is so cool. In one scene, and I'm going to read from it. Um, in one scene, he describes a demon who is trying to get into the church. Here's what he said. It had arms and it had legs, but it seemed to move without them, crossing the street and mounting the front steps of the church. Its leering, bulbous eyes reflected this dark blue light of the full moon with their own jaundice glow. The gnarled head protruded from its hunched shoulders and wisp of rancid red breath seethed in labored hisses through the rows of jagged fangs. It either laughed or it coughed, the wheezes puffing out from deep within its throat, it could have been either. It moved forward towards the front of the door. The hand passed through the door like a spear through liquid. The body hobbled forward and penetrated the door, but only halfway. You start picturing that. In our passage today, Mark says a demon-possessed man cried out. It was as if he was piercing through the door and something stopped him. And he cried out in agony because it said when he cried out, it wasn't a hey there. It wasn't hi, how you doing? It was a cry out in agony. In the Greek, it almost says like a death roar. Verse 24, in this cry, he says, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
unclean spirits, uh, demons, are normally undercover, but when Jesus shows up, they have to reveal themselves because his light shows where darkness is. And this is a sad commentary on the spiritual climate of the synagogue. And I think it would be a sad, a sad thing about the climate, the spiritual climate of many churches today. This demonized man is in the service and no one noticed until Jesus starts speaking. The, the evil spirit says, you have no, why are you here? You have no business with us. He declares that he's from Nazareth. And if you remember, when we were looking at um, Nathaniel, when he was being called as a disciple, this was his statement in John 1, 46. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good, from, good come from Nazareth? We know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, really, that's what you need to think of. Have you come to destroy us? Now, what's that pronoun? Is it singular or plural? So have you come to destroy us? There's more. Maybe there's more within this person, or he's speaking for all of them at that time. And they know you have come to destroy us. They know their destruction is coming. It's very similar to what demons say in Matthew 8, 29. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Jesus is real, and when we encounter him, we should be astonished. And we also need to know that demons are afraid, which means demons are real. They are real. They're here today. They may even be in this room. We don't like to think that. But where was this demon-possessed man? He was in the synagogue. This demon begins by dissing Jesus, and now he declares the deity of Jesus by saying, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. He just made a statement of fact. You are the Holy One. In Mark 3.11, whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, meaning Jesus, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, you are the Son of God. Noticing they're making the declaration. In Mark 5.7, he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Isn't that a funny one right there? A demon says, please don't torture me in the name of God in heaven. Now, in this section, Jesus tells the demon to be quiet. This demon has already made a testimony of the fact of who Jesus is. And Jesus doesn't need a demon to be his marketing manager here. Look what he says, verse 25. Jesus reprimanded him, be quiet, come out of this man. He ordered, remember, how is Jesus teaching? With authority, as one who commands obedience. And he says, zip it and get out. Jesus muzzled the demon and wouldn't let him say another word. And then he commands him to come out. Demons have no choice but to obey Christ. And so please hear me. Please never put Jesus and Satan on the same level. Satan and his evil ones are powerless before Jesus Christ. They are not the same. Demons and Satan are not all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere. There are a lot of demons everywhere, but not one is everywhere. 
Only Jesus is. And Jesus has the authority and power. We see in Mark 1.26, at that the evil spirit screamed through the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. Evil cowers and obeys in the presence of holiness. Why should we also want to be with other believers but to obey and be in the presence of God's holiness? Now, the unclean spirit makes a racket before he comes out. Convulse here, uh, convulses the man. It means to tear, lacerate, and throw into spasms. Now, let's just say we're having a church service, and then somebody starts speaking out in a weird voice, and, and then I would command them to get out, and they fall over in the floor, and they start convulsing, tearing things. It's going to wake you sleepy ones up, okay? It's going to grab a little bit of attention, and this loud voice actually means to screech. What do you think of when you hear the word screech? A baby? I think of a teenage boy. <laughs> yeah, you know, what do you mean? <laughs> that, that, the screech, which goes real high pitch. The word for loud here is megas. What does megas sound like? Mega. Big. So he screeched with this loud voice, big and mighty. This reminds me of James 2.19. It's good that you believe that God is one. Ha. Even the demons believe this and they tremble with fear. This demon knows who Jesus is. He's proclaimed the truth and he is shrieking in obedience because he doesn't want to, but he has to. The demons scream because they know eventually they're going to the lake of fire for eternity. God is going to punish them. And yet, what do Christians do in the presence of Jesus? That's pretty much what we do. Oh, he's good. I like Jesus. And yet the demons fear and tremble. Now, I don't need to fear and tremble out of being scared when I'm in Jesus' presence, but I do need to be awestruck, astonished by his power and his authority and his holiness. And so, yes, I should still kneel and be in his presence with trembling because, wow, he still accepts me. He has every authority, every right to say, get out of here. And yet he says, come to me. There's no reason a demon should be the one vocalizing, you are the son of God. It is our right and privilege to do so. Now, Jesus here, he doesn't use any formula or incantation. He doesn't have to use Latin phrases. He speaks truth, and the demon cries out and comes out. This is proof of the coming judgment and shows that Jesus came into the world to defeat and destroy evil, the devil, and all his underlings. 1 John 3.8, um, 3, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. Do you know why he wants to destroy the works of the devil? So that we can come to him. Unfortunately, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that Satan blinds the minds of the unbelievers. 1 John 5.19 says that while the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, the devil and his demonics, uh, his demons hate Christ and they hate Christians. 
In John 8, Jesus refers to Satan himself as a murderer. There's talk now about um, that when there's a mass shooting, we don't want to name the shooter. Do you know why they don't want to give any name to the shooter? They don't want to give him any glory or credit. Let's name the victims, let's name the heroes, but let's not name the mass shooter. That way there's no glory or recognition. But I want to do, I want to do something today. I want to name the one who is behind all the murders, and his name is Satan. He is the adversary. He is the ultimately responsible for the one who takes all innocent life. He is the one who causes lies. He is the one who causes division. It is Satan, and guess what? He loses. Because Jesus has astonishing authority. We need to make no mistake here. Satan is working. He is working. He is active and he loves to be in the minds and the lives of those who claim to be Christ followers. Even in our church family. We need to acknowledge it. I know he works on me. He hits me all the time. But thankfully, Satan and his evil spirits do not hold real power over us. They are weak. They are insignificant compared to Jesus. There is no more dangerous place to be for them than where the word of God is preached with authority and where people are praying. Because when we pray, what we're really saying is, I believe in the authority and power of Jesus. And so when we do those things, when we come and we hear real word of God preaching and teaching and we come together and we do real preaching, all of hell is alarmed and dead religion wakes up. Demons scream and those who are in bondage are set free and Satan doesn't like it because a response is expected when we encounter Jesus. So after this uh, power encounter with an unclean spirit, let's go to verse 27. Amazement gripped the audience. Listen, you know, that just happened in the middle of the aisle. There's going to be a lot of amazement. And they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked decidedly, it has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. Now, to be amazed here has the idea of being alarmed, panicked, and rendered motionless. So the first time it was like, Wow, this is cool. Now it's like, whoa, this is a bit scary. And they had both of these. They started questioning each other, not about the authority to command him, but his teachings first, which held the authority over commanding the demon. They started talking about the preaching power. His message had might behind it that people were being set free from sin and Satan right before their eyes, and a response is expected because of Jesus, and here the people are alarmed. They're not just astonished, now they're alarmed. They had no category for Christ, because right here, just like last week, Jesus busted out of the box, and they're like, what do we do with this? And what Jesus was saying and doing had never happened before in front of them. If Jesus can quiet and cast out a demon, he can calm you and free you from the bondage that you are under today. He conquers everything. All power, in Matthew, Jesus says, all power and authority has been given to me. That means who has to submit to him? All things. Nothing is too hard for Jesus. When, when, the, when kids are young, 
You know how they start sizing each other up and they start saying, well, my dad can beat up your dad. My boys never did that for some reason. One time I heard one of my boys go, well, my dad's smarter than your dad. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's not true either. We start wanting something bigger, better, stronger, and smarter than us to take over and to protect and provide for us. Let me tell you, nothing is too hard for Jesus. Jesus didn't come to manage your sin. He came to master it. He didn't come to just make you feel better. He came to deliver you from it. This man was delivered from a demon, and Jesus is still doing this today. We just haven't been looking. John MacArthur, um, about this passage, this is what he said. The people didn't know who he, Jesus, was. The demons did. The demons knew, and they had a real reason to be afraid. When sinners come to a true understanding of the authority of Christ as the Son of God, they are also terrified. The demons were terrified and could not be saved. The people were amazed and would not be saved. The amazed people and the terrified demons ended up in the same hell. Whoa. Demons know more about the power and authority of Christ than we do. You might get his titles right, but do you submit to his authority? Because many of those people would then later on go to crucify Jesus because they did not believe in him. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, if you have never given your life to Jesus, you need to be terrified. You need to be terrified for your eternity. Now let's look what happens in verse 28 as the final result of this powerful encounter. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. The fame of Jesus here spread without the internet or without texting. They weren't putting up banners. So how did it do this? People talked. That's what people do. When we're excited, when we see something really cool or it blows our minds, we tell people. We have to because it's, it's innate in us. Jesus became popular without Google because people were telling their neighbors and then those neighbors told everybody else. The name of Jesus spread in the marketplace. Remember, it was in Capernaum where there's a big trade network and now people are taking that news and taking it further. It went in all places because those who saw it did not and could not stop talking about it. And when we have a real encounter with Jesus, the gospel is advanced. It just is. Everyone we know deserves to know what we know about Jesus. Let me say that again. Everyone we know deserves to know what we know about Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said this, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Church is not about coming and feeling good about how we are. 
It's about getting ramped up, vamped up, and ready to go fight more against the evil one. The church is not to be in a nice little safe place. It needs to be at the front gate of hell, saving people who are going to damnation. The church's job is to bring glory to God and make sure other people come to Jesus as well. What would happen if our church encountered Jesus? There'd be a lot of astonishment. And the demons in this area would be afraid. And then the people would be a bit alarmed. And then the gospel would be advanced. When people come into real encounters with Jesus, they cannot help but talk about it. They can't help but tell as many as they can about Jesus. What happened when the shepherds met a little baby in a manger? They woke people up in the middle of the night to tell them about Jesus. People can't help it. One night, uh, a church caught on fire, and it was, as it was burning to the ground, the pastor was standing there watching it because he felt just distraught. He didn't know what to do. He noticed this man standing next to him watching with great interest. And then the pastor re re uh, recognized the man. He had invited this man several times to church. He says, well, I've invited you to come many times, but you never came. Why are you here tonight? The man said, I've never seen a church on fire before. Mm, yeah, that's an ouchy one, isn't it, though? Is our church on fire? I don't mean the building, I mean us. Are we the light of Christ? Is that fire of our faith burning? Burning so bright that we're astonished. Demons are afraid. We're alarmed at how powerful God is and the gospel is being advanced. We have looked at something that most people today don't think is real. We, we, we cast it aside, which is demon possession. Many people think, well, this was just uneducated people's idea. Now that we have science and technology, we know this is probably just some sort of sickness or disease. Let me just say something real quick. The Bible is very clear on this. There are times when Jesus confronts a sickness and a disease. Here it states, demon possessed. I think the creator of the universe, I think the one who called these different writers to collect the scriptures and to write them, knows the difference between a demon possessed and a sickness. And here it said demon possessed. Demons are real. We need to know this. The Bible states this. And so because of this, I need to say a few things about this. One, stay away from the occult. Stay away from it. And that includes Ouija boards. That's not just a Milton Bradley game. That is a tool of Satan. Witchcraft, astrology, horoscopes, tarot cards, they are all part of, God, of Satan's plan to undermine God. Stay away from them. Uh, scripture even says flee from them. Two things flee from. Immorality and witchcraft. Those things. Get away from them. Second thing I want to say, don't give ground to Satan. Don't give ground to him. Ephesians 4.27 urges us not to give Satan a foothold in our lives. And some of us, some of us are living with unconfessed sin. 
which is a foothold of Satan. Instead, we need to live a pure life and don't, don't live outside of God's mandates, which means biblical marriage of man and woman, no sex beforehand, how we treat one another with love and encouragement and patience. Don't do drugs or abuse alcohol because all those are going to do is open you up even more to a foothold of Satan. Have you been compromising or deliberately disobeying in any area of your life? Because if so, you just gave that life to Satan. Oh, but I'm in church on Sunday morning. Well, so was that demon. That doesn't matter. It's what part of the life are we given to him? So don't give him ground. And if you have, don't leave today without confessing it to Jesus. And ask some others to help you with it. Three, put on your spiritual armor at all times. Now, our VBS this last summer was on uh, the spiritual armor of God. Make sure you are spiritually ready. Do you know why we need to put armor on? Because we are in a battle. And if we're not putting our armor on, we are susceptible to attacks. It was so neat to see these kids saying, I'm going to wear my armor. And one little boy had to put on his VBS t-shirt when he went to school for the first day. Do you know why? Because he wanted to have his armor on. Why aren't all of us like that? That was exciting to me. This little boy, he knew the truth. I need God's armor to face school. Don't we all? So put on your armor. Four, make Jesus famous by putting him first in your life. Our lips and our lives must match up. Our words and our works must make the fame of Jesus spread. What you say and what you do must match. So I've been having to eat some crow for the past two, two or so weeks. So Ford came out with a vehicle that was just an abomination. The Ford Bronco. It's not a real Bronco. If it's a Bronco, it's more like a Shetland pony. Okay? It's this little tiny wannabe horse. We bought a Bronco. (laughs) Wait, it gets worse. I like it. (laughs) (sighs) Ah, it's just I what? No. It, the original one did, and this one mimics that. And, but it's not a Bronco. It's not a Bronco. Don't worry. Chevy did the same thing with the Blazer. So, you know, it's not a real Blazer. But it, so our words need to match our life. Now, I had to eat it because uh, I was wrong. <clears throat> I didn't just say that, did I? But when it comes to our faith, our words and our actions must align. And when they don't, We need to admit it when we're wrong. We must speak up about Jesus, not just in our life, but in our words, everywhere, throughout every area. Is your faith making Jesus famous? Really think about that. Is your lifestyle, your words, your actions making Jesus famous? Uh, Five. 
If you're not, get saved today, right now. It's possible to be astonished, amazed, and afraid and not repent and receive Jesus. That's where the demons were. It's easy to be wowed and yet not worship. The only one who correctly identified Jesus in this scripture was the demon, and he didn't receive salvation. A response is expected when we encounter, there's Rod, yeah, uh, when we ex- encounter Jesus. What is it going to take for you to be saved? If you're not saved, the Bible says you belong to Satan. You either belong to God or you belong to Satan. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun or the kingdom of Satan. Salvation, though, you can be transferred from darkness into light, from demon into deity, from um, hell, hell into heaven. In Acts 26, verse 18, it says, Jesus came to do this, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus came to take us out of the dominion of Satan into the eternal home of heaven. And if you've never accepted that, please don't leave church today, and I don't mean a building, without accepting his call to not be afraid anymore, but to be home. If you had a true encounter with Jesus, if you've been astonished by his love and his grace and his mercy and his power and authority, are you still in an alarmed state? You just don't know what to do with him because not good enough for him and his message well that's absolutely true and yet he still comes to you and says come to me he is the one who deems your worthiness not you or me he is the one who says you're worth dying for and he is the one who is calling you out of that darkness if you've never accepted it why wait and for those who have accepted it are you living in that truth It's not a Sunday morning feeling. It's a lifetime fact that we are in the grace of God, eternally bound for heaven, and the rest of the world needs to hear it. They need to not just see it by how I live, but hear it from our voice. And if we are not speaking it, Satan is winning. How can they hear unless somebody tells them? That's what scripture says. So are you living it in a way that you're telling others? Don't leave today without changing that. Let's stand and let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your son. God, I praise you that he came from perfect heaven into this world of darkness to give us a home in heaven. God, forgive us for forgetting, for doubting, choosing to hold on to the darkness God I ask right now that you would just revive the hearts of those who have maybe grown dim and stale in their faith that you would revive them and fan into uh, flame that faith that was once bright
Give St. Joe a new sense of your power and authority. Give St. Joe a new sense that we can not just obey you because we have to, but we get to because of who we are in you. And Lord, I do ask that if there are those here who have given a foothold to Satan, right now, God, I ask you shine a bright, blinding light of your truth upon them. Start bringing that freedom into their lives that that demon can start letting go and that your truth can take hold and give them real freedom, real truth, and real security. Help us all to let go of those sins, those footholds, so that we can truly live in your light. For those who are ready to make that step, God, help us as a church to open up the arms so that we can welcome them and bring them into your son for what you did for them on the cross. And in Jesus we pray. Amen. If you have a decision to make, won't you come as we sing?